0: we're in Proverbs so turn to Proverbs and I've got some just handouts for you. We're not using it really as a guide here tonight but these are some sheets that'll help you uh, because Proverbs is of course very thematic in how it's laid out and uh, we're going to be kind of covering it that way here tonight looking at some of the the key themes to the book of Proverbs and looking at some of the verses that of course correspond and relate to that. So here's a bit of a A diagram, a chart that helps you kind of see a lot of those themes and where those verses are pertaining to those themes. Basically, Proverbs is a book of wisdom, all right? We're going to be seeing uh, a lot of wisdom is coming out from this book. It's in the category of wisdom literature, where you've got books like Job, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and of course, Psalms. These are all books of poetry in the section of poetry that we're we're um, looking at here in this uh, last little bit here on Wednesday nights and we're going to be continuing on in, in these books of poetry as we continue on into Ecclesiastes next Wednesday and then on into Song of Solomon. Woo! That's going to be good. Yeah. Hope the church will be filled up for that. Um, okay. So um, now the Word Do we got the thing opened up. Do you guys find it Okay yeah just opening up all right okay so um the word proverb comes from the hebrew word mashal, which means parable it means proverbial saying it's a sentence of real kind of ethical wisdom pertaining to everyday life that sort of thing and we have a lot of proverbs thank you that's right at the last slide there so we'll go to the beginning there thanks guys um but I'm not getting it loaded on here. Let's see if I can make that happen. Okay, you threw up that first slide there or the second. No, the first slide, the word proverb. You can get that one up there. And I'm going to try to open this up again here. All right. We'll get to that one in a second. Why is this opening? I not you know it. Do you want to take this thing, Cole, and then see if you can get this to work with that guy? All right. I'll leave that for you here. See if you can get that thing started on there. So, um, we have a lot of Proverbs that have been, you know, passed down today, of course. A lot of uh, these kinds of sayings, because Proverbs are these these short, you know, little statements, sayings full of wisdom. And we've got a lot of them that have been passed down today, um, you know, spoken, repeated throughout centuries. And a lot of them are are ones that oftentimes get confused with being biblical. I've had people come and say, where's that in the Bible? And they'll give this little proverb, like, you know, many hands make light work, right? And a lot of people, where's that? Well, it's not biblical, it's a good proverb, and it's true, but it's not biblical. You got proverbs like, when the well is dry, we know the worth of water. You've heard that, I'm sure, before. When you want a drink of milk, you don't buy the whole cow. Uh, Thank you. The cat would eat fish, Uh, but she doesn't want to get her feet wet. Those are all proverbs that we've heard um, before. Always do right. This will gratify some and astonish the rest. That was from Mark Twain. That was one that that President Harry Truman liked so much that he had it framed there in the Oval Office there when he was president. So we've heard a lot of proverbs passed down, things that we've all repeated at times and wondering, is that biblical or is that just something that's passed down? Now, um, it's interesting because... We've all heard the biblical phrase, out of the mouth of babes, right? And it implies that it sometimes takes a child to communicate very simple truths to us. Well, here's some modern proverbs from kids. Here's one from Patrick who's age 10. He says, never trust a dog to watch your food. (laughs) Michael, age 14, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid? Don't answer him. (laughs) Michael also said, never tell your mom her diet's not working. That's good. Randy, age nine, he said, stay away from prunes. And we don't want to know how he discovered that. Um, Kyoto, age nine, said, never hold a dustbuster and a cat at the same time. <laughs> Naomi, age 15, if you want a kitten, start out by asking for a horse. That's very wise indeed. Um, Joel, age 10, said, don't pick on your sister when she's holding a baseball bat. Not good. And Eileen, age eight, never try to baptize a cat. So good sayings to live by, no doubt. These are ones that hold some valuable truth to us. And the book of Proverbs is going to have a lot to, to offer us. It's going to have a lot of things that are, you know, not just wise sayings, but these are often, you know, right from the Lord. And they're they're ones that are meant to be helpful, encouraging, and and to really guide us, you know, oftentimes in life. Now, a little contrast between... The Psalms that we've been looking at for the last three Wednesdays, as opposed to Proverbs here, Psalms are meant to be a devotional read. Proverbs are a disciplined read. Psalms deals with worship Whereas Proverbs deals with workmanship. Psalms is to be read on one's knees. It's very, like we said, devotional. Proverbs is read right on one's feet. It's all about living a certain way or, or you know, how to live life. Psalms teaches us how to get along with God. Proverbs teaches us how to get along with really one another. All right, And so there's some contrasts that we see coming out of Psalms and moving into Proverbs. And these are meant to really encourage and inspire us to be living, you know, holy lives set apart unto the Lord, living healthy lives, godly living here. they are practical truths that are going to take us through, you know, looking at our, our, our home life, marriages, parenting, money, work, all these things. They, they hit us right where we're at. That's what the Proverbs are so good for. They're so practical because they just deal with our everyday life, the very things that we're working through and going through on a day-to-day basis. Now, just breaking this down a little bit more and giving a a bit of an introduction here um, regarding who wrote Proverbs. Solomon is the author of Proverbs. He's the one that wrote most of the Proverbs, but we do have a couple other people that were involved in the writing of Proverbs. Now, Solomon, um, he didn't just write Proverbs here. Uh, It tells us in in 1 Kings 4, verse 32, that he spoke 3,000 Proverbs and his songs were 1,005. So this is a guy that was very, you know, it was very normal just to be writing down these words of wisdom, all right? And so Solomon didn't just pen what we see in Proverbs. This is what is recorded for us, but many more came from the the pen uh, of Solomon here. But there's two other authors, like I mentioned. Agur, who's in, uh, who wrote Proverbs 30, and then King Lemuel, who wrote Proverbs 31, all right? And so we have a couple other authors, and, and uh, that's kind of who is responsible for giving us the proverbs here now why was proverbs written we covered a little bit of of that already but we're going to see in the opening verses the very reasons why proverbs was written because it gives us a great introduction and just kind of leads us right into what it's really all about but to put it in its simplest form proverbs is here just to give us instruction instruction how to live now it's interesting because james billington served as the 13th Librarian of Congress back in 1987 and 2015, overseeing the largest library in the world. The Library of Congress was established by an act of Congress in 1800. In 1815, the library accepted 6,487 books from the Library of Thomas Jefferson. And as of 2012, the Library of Congress had a collection of more than 155 million items which included more than 35 million cataloged books and other print materials in 470 languages and nearly 120 million additional items in various formats. But in the midst of managing this enormous collection, Billington argues that it's even more difficult for that nation to know what to do with all that information, right? Describing the the contemporary world as an infoglut culture, Billington asked a probing question, have we become any wiser? All this material, all the books, all the resources that we got, have we become any wiser? And things certainly haven't gotten any better, I think we could all say. We live in an, in an age where it's just a rapid growth of information, a rapid increase of information. It's been estimated that if you were to measure accumulated knowledge from the beginning of recorded history to 1845, you could measure it by one inch. That would be just kind of a reference point, one inch. And then one inch would represent all that knowledge accumulated from the, that time period. But then, if you took all the newly learned information from 1845 to 1945, a hundred years later, it would measure three inches. And then, that knowledge gained from 1945 to 1975, 30 years later, that would become the height now of the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. It's a big difference. Now, if you took all the information that's been accumulated from that period to today, that measurement would be out of sight, be reaching up into space. It would just go beyond what we could actually see. Now, Isaac Asimov, the scientist, once said, based at the rate of knowledge growing today, by the time today's child reaches 50 years of age, 97% of everything known in the world at that time will have been learned since his birth. So we see just this accumulation and rapid growth of information, yet with all that increased knowledge, it doesn't seem that we're really getting any smarter or wiser, I guess you could say, right? That's where wisdom is so needed. We have lots and lots of knowledge, but it doesn't seem that we're getting a lot wiser. Not, not too long ago, just case in point, I was asking one of my children to help paint some trim around the house and... I left him all the paint and brushes, and I left, I, I came back to see him just kind of half passed out on the patio, and he's wearing two jackets, and I'm like, what are you doing? It's like, summer out here, why are you so hot? You're just sweating to death. He says, Well, I was reading the can, and said, for best results, apply using two coats. <laughs> you see, yes, come on. You see, listen, we can have knowledge, we know knowledge, but what's really needed is wisdom, right? And they're very different because there's a lot of very knowledgeable people in the world, but not necessarily those that are living wise. Here's the difference. Knowledge is the acquisition of information, whereas wisdom is the application of that knowledge now. It's knowing how to put that knowledge to use. It's grasping the very meaning of a situation and, and understanding what to do and how to do it the right way and at the right time. See, wisdom is something we all need. It's probably the most powerful or popular, you know, prayer request that we can make. How many times have anybody here in this room prayed that prayer? Lord, give me wisdom. I know for myself, boy, i prayed lots of times. Lord, give me wisdom because that's something we all know we need. We, we, we face a lot of things where we're saying, I don't know what to do. How am I going to do this? Lord, give me wisdom, right? All of us, I'm sure, prayed that prayer on a number of occasions. And, and here's... Solomon, this very man that did just that, right? When the Lord came and met him, when I said, Solomon, what would you like? And what did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom, that he would be able to rule God's people properly and rightly and justly. And God blessed him in that. And you see the exercise, the application of that knowledge and wisdom being used in Solomon's life. Well, in the book of Proverbs, we're gonna see Solomon here really Kind of giving a lot of instruction first of all to his son or to his sons it's and it's truth and instruction that we're all gonna you know be able to greatly glean from god wants his people you see to be wise people it tells us in ephesians 5 verse 15 see then that you walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise that's god's heart for you to be those that are not walking foolishly but walking in wisdom It's important that we learn to walk as wise people because even though you have a lot of knowledge, if we stop applying those principles of wisdom in our own lives, then we begin to falter. And guess what? Solomon's a good example of that. There was nobody that was wiser than Solomon was in all the world. God blessed him with a measure of wisdom that was unsurpassed. And yet what's interesting is that Solomon himself began to falter. Not that he wasn't maybe all the time wise, or knowledgeable, but he stopped putting that into practice and applying it in his own life. And he drifted. He drifted and he went away from the Lord. See, wisdom is not an end in itself, but a continuous discipline of following in the ways of God. It's saying, Lord, I wanna to continue to, to follow you, to, to learn of you. We, we never stop learning, ultimately. We never stop disciplining ourselves in the exercise of just living out this wisdom. What's interesting is presumably Solomon wrote Song of Solomon early in his adult years, Proverbs then in his middle years, and Ecclesiastes near the end of his life, when he had experienced this life of getting away from the wisdom of the Lord, and he began to venture into just experiencing things that were in the world. He says, under the sun, and what did he discover in Ecclesiastes? He says, it's all vanity. Until he finally, the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, records how here's what it's all about. Just coming back and following God's commandments, walking in this wisdom. So we've seen, you know, here why Proverbs is written, what it's all about. Here's how we need to look at Proverbs, because the the book of Proverbs is not just this kind of anthology of Proverbs and and statements, though it is that. But we we see how it's broken down, because in chapters 1 to 9, we have an important introduction it's instruction on how to make proper use of the Proverbs found in, the, in all the sections that are going to follow. And the emphasis on those first nine chapters is on wisdom and, and folly. It's really a call to wisdom. Chapters 10 to, to 15 sort of break down the, a series of contrasts between life of wisdom and the life of folly. And, and in chapter 10 is where we begin to look at the more kind of familiar Proverbs and wise sayings; it's these short, little kind of you know rapid-fire statements of uh, of truth, you know. And and the closing chapters of the book contain again just another variety of proverbs that give us counsel and uh, counsel over many different areas of life. Here now, here's a here's a way that Proverbs is divided up here. Um, just kind of what I just went through: um, wisdom and folly contrasted, chapters one to nine. Then we see these. Proverbs of Solomon compiled by by himself, we see chapters 25 to 29, Proverbs of Solomon that were compiled by Hezekiah's men, then chapter 30, the sayings of Agur, chapter 31, the, the sayings of King Lemuel, but you know, the book of Proverbs doesn't really follow a real kind of certain flow as you read through it, it's like just, like I said, giving those little short rapid fire pithy statements on a variety of subjects. So that's what we're going to be doing here is we're kind of flying through the book of Proverbs here. We're not obviously going to be able to cover you know a lot of the Proverbs but what we're going to do is we're going to sort of look at some of the themes that we're going to be seeing in the book of Proverbs and we're going to cover a few of the verses that pertain to that theme and this is just a again not an exhaustive list. We're just going to cover a few uh, certain things and just kind of give an idea about what these proverbs are all about and how they relate to us and how they're meant to instruct and lead us on in wisdom here tonight and it's also important that we kind of remember too that as we study the book of proverbs that you know they're not all being written and and regard as these kinds of full-on promises of god every single one of them a lot of them are but some of them are not like absolute truths in a sense of full promises take proverbs 22 verse 6 for instance train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he'll not depart from it that's not a we know that there are times where you could do everything right and training up a child in the way he should go but there are still times where they're going to depart they're going to go their own way and they may never come back some and most likely will and and here's the thing here's what Solomon is ultimately saying is that, you know, there's, there's going to be a much greater percentage of having a child follow the Lord when you raise him up in the ways of the Lord. But again, these are not, you know, full-on promises of God, but rather oftentimes generalized statements of what is usually true in life. So it's not that you take all the proverbs and go, well, that's not... No, it's God's word. It's meant to be there to encourage us and instruct us. But again, they're not absolute in a sense promises all of them to say this is matter of fact how it's going to go okay so let's look at kind of the beginning of the book the the introduction here in chapter one and we're going to cover verse one to seven here talk a little bit about this here it says in chapter one verse one the proverbs of solomon the son of david king of israel To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and the riddles. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here's kind of the first theme or subject that we're gonna really deal with is the fear of the Lord. That becomes very important. In fact, this is, I think you could say, it's the key verse to all of Proverbs. Is right here in verse seven of chapter one. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 14 times in the book of Proverbs, we see, see that phrase. The, the fear of the Lord. It's important. It's something that God wants us to really grasp and understand, and He repeats it oftentimes. We also see it here in Proverbs 9:10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Job talks about it in chapter 28, verse 28 of Job. And to man, He said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. But now, we've all heard that phrase, but really what is the fear of the Lord? Because the way that we perceive that is not really what is implied in the biblical understanding of that phrase, fear of the Lord. I think a lot of times we get it kind of mixed up because for us today, when we hear the word fear, it means like we're worried about, we're under a threat of something. We're scared, we're fearful. And So when we hear the fear of the Lord, we oftentimes get that image of us kind of cowering and worry and fear of the Lord, like he's just ready to pounce on you for every little mistake. And there's this, but that's not what really Solomon is getting at. That's not what we're talking about here, because the fear of the Lord is the, the beginning of knowledge, This is a a good thing. You see, the fear of the Lord biblically means that we're to have a right reverence or respect of God, a right awe of God. Again, not talking about cowering, fear God, where we're trying to hide from him in dread. We're talking about having a right reverential awe of God. Yeah, you know what? We're, We're to fear him, knowing how great he is, but... Don't we always see the Lord coming and countering that fear with a fear not? Fear not. Not not have a fear of worry and dread, but have a right view of God. Have a right awe of God. See, if we're to walk as wise, it begins with knowing God, having a right view of Him, that He is great, and He's the almighty, powerful, one and only God, and that we now just live in submission to Him, knowing Ultimately, that submission brings blessing. And you see, it's all centered in our love for God and his love for us. It becomes very relational rather than it being about rules and this kind of worry of, uh, or, or religion of like, well, I got to honor God, I got to fear God. I'm afraid to even do anything lest he come back and counter that with something. That's not the right fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is knowing who God is, knowing who we are, that we're not God and he is, he knows what's best, so I'm gonna live my life for him in submission to him, knowing that that's what's gonna lead to blessing in my life. That's the fear of the Lord that we're to have. And then our, our fearing the Lord becomes more about not wanting to displease him. We're, we're recognizing all that he's done for us and his goodness and grace towards us, and we just want to honor him and follow him. That's the fear of the Lord. And that, Solomon says, that's the beginning of knowledge. That's where it all begins, right there. And it's not just the beginning point. It's the very foundation of a life that is built on wisdom. It's the very foundation of it. And look at the contrast there in verse 7, that fools despise wisdom and instruction. They don't like it, right? They look at God and they think, I don't need to listen to you. I know what I'm doing. I want to be in control of my life. I want to do my own thing. I want to go my own way. I don't need you, God. They, they despise wisdom and instruction. And on that note, much of what we read from chapters one and nine is just that contrast between wisdom and folly. The wise person and the foolish person. And so Solomon lays out chapters 1 to 9 just as real instruction, you know, to his son or or sons and wanting to train them up, raise them up in the right ways, wanting them to follow in the ways of the Lord. And these are great instructions for us. Look at verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Now that expression, my son, like I said, it's repeated all throughout those first few chapters of Proverbs. And, and really, we hear just that heartbeat of a parent desiring the best for their kids. And ultimately, isn't that the heart of the father? He desires the best for his children. He says, hey guys, I, I'm not giving you my word. I'm not giving you instruction to restrict you or rob you of joy. I, I've, got, I, I, I've got the best intent for you. God's heart is for us. And he wants to see us walking in a way that's going to lead to blessing, goodness. That's God's heart and God's love towards you. So just like Solomon desiring to train up his children in a profitable way, we have a heavenly father that's designed to instruct his children in the right ways to go. And notice, I love that. And when you follow those instructions, it brings honor and beauty to that life. Just like Solomon says, it's like the crown of a king or necklace of a, a, a queen. Graceful ornament on your head or chains about your neck. So awesome. So the fear of the Lord, that's kind of that first main topic we see in the book of Proverbs. And here's some benefits the fear of the lord. I'll put some verses up rather than flipping through all over. We'll turn to a lot of proverbs, but I'll put some up on the screen as well. Proverbs 10:27. The fear of the lord um let's see. Okay. The fear of the lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The fear of the lord, Proverbs 15:33. The fear of the lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. The second part of Proverbs sixteen six in the fear by the fear of the Lord one departs from evil, Proverbs nineteen twenty three the fear of the Lord leads to life and he who has it will abide in satisfaction he will not be visited with evil. Aren't those great benefits to the fear of the Lord? It prolongs days. It's the instruction of wisdom. By the fear of the Lord you depart from evil and it leads to life and satisfaction. Bring it on. Fear of the Lord is not a heavy. Man, this is something that benefits, that leads to greater life. Well, we move from the fear of the Lord now to look at wisdom. Wisdom is obviously what Proverbs is really all about. Jump over to chapter 3. Chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up in verse 13. As we look at some Proverbs regarding wisdom here. It says, Proverbs 3, verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. So, as we've been seeing, wisdom is linked to following the Lord and walking in obedience. It's it's gaining this kind of understanding. And the person that's walking in the Lord's ways, guess what it says? They're going to be happy. Don't you love that? Joy becomes really a natural byproduct of the one that is wise, and wisdom equates to following the Lord, walking in His ways. The byproduct of that is joy, happiness. Why? Why? Because you're living life the way that it was created to be lived. You're following God's ways for life. That's the heavenly bliss we experience that is all about just being right with God. And the Lord promises that the life lived in his wisdom is the life that's going to be the most beneficial and the most fruitful. You see, we need to see really the value that there is in living a life uh, that's just tracking in that wisdom of God. Because you can take all the treasures that this world, you know, lifts up and holds in in high regard and and with great value to it, and guess what? Wisdom, as Solomon says, wisdom still comes out ahead of all of that. Wisdom still is worth far more than In fact, Solomon says, her proceeds are better. Don't you love that? The return of that which you gain from living out wisdom, walking in wisdom, The proceeds, the return of that is far greater than all the other things that the world puts a high value on. Man, it's so worth it. And not only that, but look at verse 18. It's like we get paradise restored in a sense because wisdom becomes unto us a tree of life. Verse 18 there, chapter three, just like Adam and Eve had that special relationship with God but threw it all the way through disobedience. We get to experience that relationship restored when we search for and find that wisdom and live in it. The fact that wisdom is a tree of life does not mean you know, immortality for us, but rather that it'll bring a quality of life that's unmatched. That's greater than anything else that you will encounter or might experience in the world. So it's important to keep in mind also that, that God's not kept wisdom from us. This is not something that You know, God's got locked away, and it's like some big, you know, puzzle or mystery of how to attain that, or you got to go through certain steps. This is not something that that God's really kept restricted or just for the, you know, special few or the elite. This is something that God has very readily made available to us because he's given us his word. It's in his word that we find just that wisdom of God It's to be studied and enjoyed and, and read daily And then we know that the word became flesh Dwelt among us You see, Jesus becomes that true wisdom of God today And, and we have seen Jesus through God's word So that we might see God more So we might understand that wisdom In fact, 1 Corinthians one twenty four says But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So as we're abiding in Jesus, we're beginning to see even more clearly just this wisdom of God that he has for us, following him, living in him. Jump over to Proverbs 4, verse 7. Proverbs 4, verse 7 says this. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Get wisdom, guys. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Isn't that great? Solomon says, listen. You want to figure out, you want to find what you should be really seeking in life? Well, we know that we're to be seeking the Lord. But here Solomon equates, as kind of personified in this wisdom here. Get wisdom. Because it's the principal thing. If you're going to have wisdom, you're going to know how to honor the Lord, fear the Lord, walk in the Lord, and, and enjoy this life in the Lord. So get wisdom. Look at Proverbs 8, verse 34. Proverbs 8, verse 34. 8, Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoever finds me, speaking of wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Man, find life. Now, you could say, that the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. And guess what? Proverbs has a lot to say about that too. That's another thing that we get to look at here tonight. Foolishness, because I think it might be very relevant for all of you here tonight. No, okay. (laughs) Now the book of Proverbs has, it, it takes a look at the fool in a couple different ways. There are those that are simple, they're foolish, but they're teachable. They're simply just kind of ignorant as to what's going on, all right? Um, and so Proverbs deals with the fool like that. They're, they're simple, they're naive, but they're teachable. But then Proverbs also addresses the fool that's hardened of heart. They know better, but they're choosing not to follow it and walk in it. So we see a couple different contrasts with how the fool is portrayed here, and we'll see it kind of played out a, a couple different ways here in some of the verses that we're gonna look at here tonight look at chapter 14 jump over there chapter 14 verse 7 to 9 proverbs 14 verse 7 it says this go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive it in the lips of knowledge The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright, there is favor. So the fool addressed here, they have no desire to act in a way that's wise. They're just really not interested, right? And when you're dealing with those sort of people, you gotta know when it's time to walk away, right? You gotta know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Know when to walk away and know when to run. That's a, that's... I think that's in Proverbs chapter 2, I think, somewhere, somewhere there. (laughs) But you got to know when it's time to leave the foolish behind, right? Now listen, there's a time when our presence is necessary to come in and add light and and fruitfulness there to a situation, to have an influence. But there's time when we need to go away when we do not want to be influenced by the foolish, And so this Proverbs is like, go from the presence of a foolish man. And and the man that desires not to learn or to understand or to hear truth. When you perceive that they're just there mocking sin, that there's no desire, go from them. So that's a fool that has hardened their heart. But then there's the foolish that are just ignorant. Look at chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7, jump over there, verse 22 Chapter seven, verse 22, immediately, it says, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. Now here's another common theme in Proverbs is this area of temptation and, and sin in a, in a sexual manner. Speaking of a harlot that's calling you out, looking to trip people up. And it's not just addressing foolishness, but it's where this foolishness leads. And it too often it leads straight into sin and temptation that, that brings a person low and ultimately to their destruction. Because here's a man now that's just kind of ignorant, naive. Sees this person flirting, calling out to him. And he runs to it without thinking it through, without walking in wisdom, without practicing wisdom. And he goes without realizing, and this is so heavy to to see and read, that he did not know it would cost him his life. And and how we need to have that view of sin. Because if we're not walking in wisdom and and seeking the Lord, we know the enemy is going to be right there seeking to... Called out, lead us in to, to, uh, to lure us into his trap. Which is never about trying to enhance your life, but simply to destroy your life. And too often we flirt around with sin, and we fail to understand this very word right here. That it'll cost you your life. It's never worth it. How many people have, have left marriages because of a lure of, of sin and temptation? and failed to count the cost and and just seeing the devastation that it brought and if they had had just a small glimpse of that, I'm sure they never would have even set foot out of their house and into the arms of another person. How many people have just ruined their lives because of flirting with drugs or alcohol or things of that nature that ultimately brought people down failing to see that sin is out there for one purpose to devour you to to destroy your life and here Solomon nails it he did not know it cost his life chapter 9 look at chapter 9 verse 13 here again we see the same kind of thing at work Chapter 9, verse 13, a foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in there. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Very enticing, but he does not know that the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of hell. See, it's just like the enemy, isn't it? Just like our enemy, Satan, who is calling out, saying, look at what I've got for you. It's pleasant. Oh, it's gonna, it's gonna be helpful to you. It's gonna be satisfying. He calls out, and yet so often we fail to see that that's, that's the way of death. That's where the dead are, there's there's been victim after victim that have walked into that, that are lost now, that we fail to take into account. How important it is that we're following in that wisdom and fear the Lord, countering a life that we can be so prone to walk in, and that's the life of foolishness. Let us be sure that we're holding on to God's word, living it out. Now, the foolish are not hard to spot because, well, they just act foolishly oftentimes, right? Look at Proverbs 14, verse 7 to 8 here, or 17 to 19. A quick-tempered man, I'll put up on the screen. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned in knowledge. The evil will bow before the good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. So... Here we see that again, the, that trail of, of sin and the flesh just being seen here. A quick tempered man acts foolishly and the simple inherit that folly. Well, we move from foolishness to look at another common theme in the book of Proverbs and that is pride. Pride is something that's addressed oftentimes here. Chapter 11, verse 2. Proverbs eleven two 2 says, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. See, pride doesn't lead to anything good. And pride is really that driving force that's behind so much of sin and the flesh. It's really pride that's at the root of so much of it. It's all about self and, and kind of self-promotion. And sin is never going to, or pride is never ever going to bring about anything good because what does Proverbs 11, 2 says? It just comes to shame. There's no good that ever comes out of exercising pride. Look at chapter 13, verse 10. Chapter 13, verse 10. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Pride leads to strife. Why? Because pride, again, is that, that self-promotion or elevation of self. It's self-serving. It's looking out only for, you know, numero uno. And it's gonna lead to strife because the proud person isn't concerned with others. The proud person is all about themselves. And when you're living solely for yourself and everything is about yourself, you're gonna quickly realize that that's not the way the world operates. And you're going to complete, constantly be, be hitting up against the wall, uh, combating that and, and just walking into situations that are not going the way that you want them to go or that are not self-serving. And what happens then if it's all about you? Well, it just leads to strife. And you see, what's so difficult about pride? Like we've often said here, it's it's. The very pride itself that stops you from realizing that you're proud. Nobody will, the, the one that's walking in pride will never admit that they're proud because they're too proud to think that there's pride in them. No, that's not me. Oh, no, I'm the, I'm probably the humblest guy that you've ever met, <laughs> right? <laughs> and there's the pride coming out right there. It's pride that stops you from seeing your pride. And then we continue to act in that selfish way that oftentimes is to the hurt and harm of others. See, pride is what took our very, the very enemy of our souls down, Satan. Lucifer, Ezekiel records that. Isaiah talks about it where, man, he wanted to be elevated and exalted like the most high. And it was pride that Brought Lucifer down. So, no doubt he's at work today looking to push those buttons of pride in ourselves, trying to get us to have that self promotion, self exaltation, because he knows that's what's gonna truly keep a person away from God. He's experienced it himself. So don't let pride get in the way. It says there that, that with the well advised is wisdom the end of chapter 13, verse 10, with the well-advised is wisdom. In other words, be those that are, are quick to take counsel, instruction, or correction. How do you respond when somebody comes to you with correction? How do you respond to that? Don't give me any answers. No, keep that to yourself. But, I, I mean, I struggle with that at times. And I have to be so careful to go, let me, let me take that and chew on that for a bit. Because even when you feel like they're totally wrong, maybe there's an element of truth to that that I need to learn from and grow in. And I've seen it with others that get very defensive when Sunday comes with correction. We don't like it. We don't want to feel like we're wrong or that we need to grow in a certain area. We don't like to hear that but with the well-advised is wisdom. The one that keeps growing, the one that keeps learning, the one that keeps ready to to receive instruction, correction, counsel, those are the people that are gonna be doing what's right and and well-advised. Let us be those that are not so proud that we think we're above all of that, but that in humility we're ready to say, yeah, okay, let me take that and chew on that. Let me pray, but let me see what the Lord wants to do in my life through that. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Here's another well-known proverb. 16, verse 18 to 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Pride doesn't, you know, have multiple exits to get off and and try different avenues. Pride is a one-way street with only one outcome. And what is that outcome, guys? Destruction. That's it. It's not journeying down, well, I'm going to try this pride route out, see how it goes, maybe I'll venture over here. No, it's got one way and one result, and it's destruction. Pride goes before destruction. Chapter 29, verse 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Proverbs 29, 13. A man's pride will bring him low. You know, former heavyweight um, boxer James Quick Tillis, he was a cowboy from Oklahoma who fought out of Chicago in the early 1980s. Years later, he still remembers his first day in the Windy City after his arrival from Tulsa. He says, I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago and I stopped in front of the Sears Tower. I put my suitcases down and I looked up at that tower and I said to myself, I am gonna conquer Chicago. And when I looked down, my suitcases were gone. (laughs) It's true, we can feel like that There's nothing that's going to stop me now As we're looking up and kind of elevating ourselves Suddenly, man, we're brought low That's what Proverbs says The man's pride will bring him low Well, here's another theme that we see in Proverbs And that is that of speaking or the use of the tongue That's something that's very, again, repeated through the book of Proverbs Look at chapter 15 Verse one, jump over there. Chapter 15. It says in verse one, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Go down to verse four. A wholesome tongue, it's a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit it's a great picture that we see here where it says that a wholesome tongue is a tree of life right a tree of life there in, again in the garden of Eden where we've already seen that alluded to in proverbs already but just where again just the abundance and fruitfulness and vitality came from and here now it says that a wholesome tongue is like that It just adds to the blessing, not only to the speaker, but to those who are the recipients of those words. It just adds life and fruitfulness and vitality to it. Yet we also know that our choice of words can also be a detriment, right? Either in stirring up anger or causing great hurt. Soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. There was, maybe you've heard this story, but there was a woman who went away on a business trip. She called back home to her husband to check in on things. And after some initial chatting in the hat, she says, how's the cat doing? And the husband just quickly replied, dead. And the wife's like, oh, honey, that's so harsh. Why'd you have to respond that way? Why'd you have to just blurt it out like that? Why didn't you speak a little more kindly and break the news to me a little bit more gently? And the husband's like, well, what do you mean? What could I have done differently? She says, well, you know, you could have said to start that it was up on the roof. And then, you know, when I... Continue the conversation asked a little bit more. You could have said, well, you know, the, the cat was starting to act a little bit sluggish here. And then, you know, when we pressed a little bit more, you, you could have said that I had to take him to the vet. And then, you know, eventually the cat died. You could have just sort of brought that on a little bit more slowly. That was just so harsh. And I said, okay, I didn't, you know, realize the protocol I needed to follow in announcing bad news here. So I'll take that into account here. Start talking a little bit more and the woman says, by the way, how's mom doing? He said, well, she's on the roof. Okay. Listen, we all know that words have a way of really building us up or or tearing people down. Look at chapter 18, verse 21. Chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You hear that? death and life are not in weapons or swords or guns it says it's in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit so we have to truly realize how powerful of an instrument our tongue is our speech our words it's powerful and it can be a hard beast to tame Look at what James, chapter three, verse seven and nine says. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed, and it has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. That's serious stuff here. And we're talking about the tongue. And I think so often we fail to really realize the power that we hold in the words that are spoken. Powerful words that can just ruin a person or just speak life into them. Chapter 12, verse 18 of Proverbs. Chapter 12, verse 18 says, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. So here now we see again that that application of wisdom and knowledge, putting these things into practice, saying now that the tongue of the wise promotes health. Some people speak, and it can be like just daggers shooting out, like the piercings of a sword. They're words that that can hurt. And there are some people that just have no problem saying it that way. You know, people that excuse it by saying, I just tell it like it is. I just shoot from the hip. Sometimes you wish that shooting would backfire a little bit, right? I don't care what you think you need to do, man. You need to realize what you're doing to others. And not excuse things like that. You see, though you might feel like, oh, I just gotta speak the truth, it may not always be beneficial. That's why we're called to speak the truth in what? Love. There needs to be a balance there. If what you're about to say is only gonna hurt somebody and there's no benefit from it, then you need to really evaluate if That's what needs to be said. Or figure out a way that you can speak that that's gonna have a benefit, and is going to promote health, just as Proverbs here tells us. We can say difficult things as long as our objective and our goal in that is to promote health. Our desire should always be to build up. Because if we're just speaking truth recklessly without any intent uh, of health or blessing or healing, then they're just the piercings of a sword there is as chapter 12, verse 18 says, So we need to guard our tongue and use it to promote life. Here's some other things that we see in Proverbs about this. Chapter 17, verse 27 and 28. He who has knowledge spares his words. And a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he's considered perceptive. Now, you know what it's like when you say something that you shouldn't say. And as soon as you say it, you know you shouldn't have said it. But guess what? Those words are out now. There's no turning back. Wouldn't you love to be able to just kind of like hit rewind or go back in time and grab those back again? I'm sure all of us have been in that situation where we're like, man, I shouldn't have said it, but I did. And now I got to reap the consequences of that. And so Solomon comes along here. These prophets come along to say, listen, there's wisdom in being slow to speak, in guarding the tongue, and in, in, in just having that, you know, holding your peace. And I love i love what it says there. Even a fool, <laughs> they're accounted Even a fool, when he holds his tongue, when he holds his peace, people look at him and go, that was wise right there. It's about the only wise thing you've done, but that was wise, old fool. <laughs> right? That's what they're saying. That was some wisdom right there, holding your tongue. And we need to practice that. We would sure spare ourselves a lot of hurt and harm if we would exercise a little more self-control with our speech amen chapter 21 verse 23 says whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles." so that really wraps it up summarizes it right there whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles well another theme we see in the book of proverbs is this of work or work ethic Let me put up some verses here. We're going to run through these kind of quickly here just to kind of get a a summary of what Proverbs has to say about work ethic. Chapter 10, verse four to five. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Chapter 13, verse four. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Chapter 22, verse 29, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. And then 28, verse 19, he who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. So Proverbs talks a great deal. That's only just a sample of the many verses that talk about, you know, the lazy man versus the diligent man. And those that are saying, I'm going to work. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be busy. I'm not going to just sleep all day, I'm not just gonna kind of twiddle my thumbs and do nothing because when I do that, then I have nothing. But the diligent man is gonna prosper, Proverbs will say. And lastly, let's look at just now another theme which really kind of addresses just sort of the way of the Lord because Proverbs also teaches us that ultimately the Lord is in control. And aren't you grateful for that? See, when we allow him to take the lead, then we begin just to enjoy the blessings of following Him and being directed of Him. Because it's in Him when we know that we're tracking with Him, we're following Him, and, and He's just taking the lead that we find that strength and, and security in life. Look at Proverbs 3, 5-6, to 6, probably one of the more well-known verses here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Chapter 10, verse 29, the way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. 16, verse 9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I like that. 20, verse 24, a man's steps are the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? 21, verse 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. And here's a very key verse, too. And this is why we need to seek the Lord and be led by the fear of the Lord and his wisdom because it's the Lord that always has the last say. Turn, turn to chapter 19, verse 21. Proverbs 19, verse 21. Last verse we'll look at here tonight. Because if we're not seeking him and being led of him, then we're just running ourselves into the wall because his plans are are the ones that prevail, not ours. Here's what chapter 19, verse 21 says. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. The Lord's counsel is that which is gonna stand. The Lord has the final say. That's why it's important that we get behind the Lord, that we start walking in the fear of the Lord with that wisdom being applied and lived out, not as fools, that we start doing these things that Proverbs says, taming the tongue, watching these things, keeping pride in check, saying, God, I wanna honor you. I wanna follow you, Lord, because it's your ways and your counsel, your word that stands and nothing else. So Lord, let me get behind you in all that I'm doing so that I may follow all that you're doing, God, ultimately. All right, well, that's just kind of a snippet, that's all we're going to do tonight here, okay? Well, not all we're going to do, that's all I'm going to do tonight, but guess what we're going to do right now? We're going to split up into into just small groups here. We're going to take just maybe three, four of you, two if you want, and I'm going to put some questions up on the board here that I want you guys to discuss together and talk about, and then we'll we'll share them with one another in a few minutes we got some time so move around get up if you want to take your whole group and move to a certain area of the room and spread out you can do that but find another two or three people or just one other person if you need to and get together with somebody and just go over these questions look at it you'll take your bible with you and and examine some of these things and I'll call upon some of you for some answers